Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Practicology Podcast. This is episode number 82, but it is our third episode in our 2022 August Summer Challenge, where we are attempting to memorize Ephesians chapter 1. Hope you're joining us in that. And we're going through Ephesians chapter 1 in these podcasts, even if you're not working on the memorization or if you've fallen behind. Uh, hopefully these episodes will still be a, a blessing to you as we share some thoughts going through this chapter. And if you have struggled a little bit in your memorization, don't worry. There's still time to work on it, and we're praying that the Lord will give you help in that too. Mike, how are you doing in your memorization? Can you go? Can you at least recite verses 11 to 14 for me? That's what we're talking about today. Yeah, I, I think I can. Um, it's been a challenge, I guess, because uh, as you know, we've been on the road quite a bit and uh, even helped you guys with a camp that you do for uh, teens in Halifax. So it's kept us busy, but um, I think I can do it. But maybe before I recite those verses, just to help us keep the whole forest in view, uh, I'll summarize briefly uh, where, where we're at here. So this paragraph I'm about to quote is the tail end of Paul's opening eulogy or praise to God. So remember verse 3, blessed, you know, be God for blessing us with all these blessings. And then in verse 4 and on, he begins to rehearse what those blessings are. Uh, they include election, adoption as sons, forgiveness, uh, insider knowledge about God's secret plan for the fullness of times, and so on. And maybe as I recite verses 11 to 14 now, uh, you can just listen to what the final blessing Paul celebrates um, in, in this section is. So, so here I go. It says in verse 11, <clears throat> In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the holy... With the promised. Right. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Great job, and thank you for helping us to see the forest as well. Take the big picture again. Some people can't see the forest for the trees, as they say. So I appreciate you helping us with that summary paragraph. And twice in that paragraph, Mike, you mentioned inheritance. Well, Scripture mentions the inheritance. So. I think what you're going to tell us is that the last blessing that Paul is celebrating is the blessing of obtaining an inheritance. Yeah, I think verses 11 and 14 are all about our inheritance in Christ. And I think this is really interesting because I'm guessing that most people find it awkward to talk about their inheritance in front of their parents. I mean, I, I'd probably joke about it a little bit, joking that if my parents hadn't had my little brother and sister, there'd be more for me. But I try not to mention it too often in front of my parents or ask too many questions about our inheritance uh, because I don't want to give the impression that I care more about my inheritance than I do about my parents. But when it comes to our inheritance in Christ, the New Testament certainly uh, doesn't teach us to be shy or bashful about it at all. And here's Paul in Ephesians 1. He's boldly blessing God the Father for giving us an inheritance. And we're supposed to praise our Heavenly Father for this in this passage. Amen. All the same, inheritances do tend to generate a lot of questions. I'm just talking about earthly inheritances now. Uh, you know, who, who gets included in the inheritance? What is the inheritance? How much are they going to get? When do they get it? And, and so on. How's it going to be divided? And I think as believers, we have the same questions, really, when it comes to our inheritance in Christ. 
Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I, I read a lot about the inheritance in the Bible, and I often wonder, and have wondered in, in the past, like, well, what is this inheritance? And so hopefully this episode can at least partially answer two or three of our questions about our inheritance. And the way I want to go about doing this is by talking about three wonders of our inheritance. So two of these wonders are stated explicitly in this passage, and the third one is, is hinted at. We have to tease it out a little bit. But let's start with the first wonder. The wonder of who the inheritance is for. The wonder of who the inheritance is for. Alright, so let's think about this. God has an inheritance. I'm going to repeat that. God has an inheritance. And the most important question, clearly, is, well, who gets in on God's inheritance? Whatever inheritance God would have would be utterly amazing. Well, who, who gets in on this? And, and this is the point that Paul, I think, emphasizes the loudest in this, in this section of verses. In verse 11, he says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. And then in verse 13, he says, In him you also. So this is just one of many parallels between verses 11 and 12 and verses 13 and 14. And it's, it's the parallel of, of who. So once again, verse 11 says, we have obtained an inheritance. And then he goes on to explain who this we are. He says, we who were the first to hope in Christ. Now, I'm not dogmatic on this, but it's very possible that Paul is referring to Jewish believers here. In God's salvation timetable, God planned it so that the gospel would go to the Jews first. And so maybe Paul's saying here, you know, we Jews who first hoped and trusted in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. But then in verse 13, he says this, he says, You also, you Gentiles in Ephesus, when you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, when you heard that gospel message and believed in the Lord Jesus, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. In other words, Paul is really stressing the wonder of who this inheritance is for. God has an inheritance, and it's for us, it's for you, even we Gentiles, who, according to 2 verse 12, we had no hope, we had no God, we had no share in the inheritance. Well, now we fully share in God's inheritance, along with all who believe in Christ. Amen. And this is a, an amazing wonder about our inheritance, because I, I asked a couple of moments ago, sometimes the question is, you know, how is the inheritance going to get divided? Often inheritances do divide families. One family member is envious of, um, of another family member for how much they've gotten or suspicious of how much they've gotten. But this is an inheritance that unites us. You've mentioned Jew and Gentile. That's a bigger thing in chapter 2 of Ephesians as well. And think of Paul's words in Galatians 3. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs, there it is, heirs according to promise. That's Galatians 3, 27, 29. Yeah, and this shared inheritance actually promotes love for one another, despite you know those differences you mentioned of Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. This shared inheritance actually causes us to love one another despite our differences. So I'm looking at Colossians 1, uh, verses 3 to 5, and, and here Paul says, We thank, always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love 
that you have for all the saints. Well, where does this love for all the saints come from? Then he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So Paul is saying that one of the reasons Christians love one another, love all the saints, is in part because we share in this common hope, this common inheritance. That's good. That's a fascinating link. Thank you for that. So Paul has emphasized already the wonder of who the inheritance is for. But then there's a question, how secure is this inheritance? Sometimes our favorite stories remind us how even inheritances can be fragile. Someone's inheritance can be wiped out in a night, or the will is lost, or the will is changed. What is this text saying about our inheritance, Mike? Yeah, great question. And it brings me to the second wonder. The second wonder about our inheritance is is how secure it is. It turns out that our inheritance is as strong and secure as the Trinity. Like it's stronger than titanium, it's Trinitarian. So first of all, note verse 11, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. That is in the son. And then similarly in verse 13, remember there's these all these parallels between the two couples of verses there, couplets of verses. Similarly in verse 13, it says, in him you also. So our inheritance is secure because we have obtained it in Christ the Son. Yeah, this is just bringing to mind the the significance of the fact that the Bible speaks of God's Son as the heir. Jesus himself said he was the heir in his parable of the tenants. That's a fascinating parable, Mark 12. And the wicked tenants see the Son coming to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they say, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they're, they're identifying him as the heir, they want the inheritance. And then in Hebrews 1, God says his son is the heir of all things. And because Jesus is God's son, he's also God's heir. He stands to inherit everything that God owns, which, I mean, is everything. He has an infinite inheritance. And according to Romans 8:17, we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs, joint heirs with Christ. So our inheritance is in Christ. It's because we are in Christ, in the Son, the heir, that we are heirs, that we have obtained an inheritance. Yeah, I love that truth of being joint heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. It's amazing. He's given us so much, and he's going to just keep giving us more. You know, this is like Romans 8. Uh, God who spared not his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Which means, though, what, what you are saying also means that God would essentially have to disinherit his own son before he could disinherit any of us who are genuine believers in Christ because our future is tied with Christ. Yeah, isn't that so awesome? And, and there's more. I mean, I said it's Trinitarian strong, right? So there's more. Our inheritance is secure not only because of the son, but secondly, because of the Father. So it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now that's a loaded phrase, and it really takes some chewing to to understand it all, I suppose. But you might ask, well, what does this part about being predestined, what does that have to do with our inheritance? Well, Paul's already mentioned predestination, hasn't he? We talked about this in episode 80. Back there in verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Well, that's why predestination uh, has to do with our inheritance. Because God predestined us to be his adopted sons, we have obtained an inheritance. Why? 
because that's what sons get. When you become one of God's sons, you become one of his heirs. Sons get a share in the family wealth. And by the way, just a quick sidebar here. It might bother some uh, that Paul talks so much about adopted sons and sonship, and we want him to add the word daughters. But in this culture, adoption was mostly about sons. And, and it was such a big deal. It was about someone being chosen to be a son in the family and then coming into this great wealth because now he was an heir. But, but the amazing thing is this, that when it comes to the gospel, this high privilege of adoption, mostly reserved to males, it was equally available to women. Every girl and woman who believed in Christ received the same blessing of adoption as a son and thus shared equally in the, in the inheritance. So this is a, a great leveling stroke that the gospel makes here. But, but back to our main point. Our inheritance is secure not only because of the son, but because of the father. We've obtained an inheritance because we've been predestined by the father to be his sons and heirs. And who is this father who has bequeathed his vast estates to us? He's the one who, now listen to this, he's the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, there's no chance of a true believer missing out on his inheritance. The God who controls everything, who upholds all things, who works all things according to his plan, and is never frustrated from carrying out his purposes, this is the God who predestined you to be his son and heir. And that's why Paul can put it in the past tense. He can say, not that we're going to get an inheritance, he says, we have obtained an inheritance. Sounds secure to me, but you've pointed out that this is Trinitarian. So you've mentioned the Son and the Father. That takes us to the Holy Spirit. And in verse 13, I see Paul says to these Gentile believers, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what a lovely phrase, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So these verses are saying that the Spirit is both our seal and guarantee, and I take it that both of these images are meant to convey the security of our inheritance. Yeah, totally. Um, so God has sealed us, as you said. God has sealed us with his Spirit. The Spirit is the mark he has placed in us to show that we are truly his, and if we are his, then we are his heirs. And same with that second word you brought out. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. The logic works like this. If you've received God's spirit, you're going to receive God's inheritance. Again, if, if you have already received God's spirit, then you are definitely going to receive God's inheritance. So let's do a little summation here. First, Paul is emphasizing the wonder of who this inheritance is for, all believers, even those of us who are Gentiles. Second, he's emphasizing how certain and safe and secure this inheritance is. It's Trinitarian strong. It's ours in Christ. It's planned for us by the Father who's in complete control over everything in the universe. And it's guaranteed to us by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, before a Christian can lose his or her inheritance, Christ would have to lose his inheritance. The Father would have to lose control. And the Holy Spirit would have to lose his seal. Well, that's beautifully put. And, and those two wonders are explicitly mentioned and celebrated in this passage. I mean, we're not, uh, we're not having to work too hard to see it. It's right there. But, but what is our inheritance? What's the content of it? Well, this Paul only hints at here. And we're going to need to look at some other verses in the Bible to make it a bit more clear. But the third wonder that I want to cover is the wonder of what the inheritance consists of. 
So that word guarantee you just mentioned, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, it, it means the first installment, the, the deposit. The Holy Spirit is the first installment of our inheritance. And that means that the Holy Spirit is a clue as to what the, her the inheritance consists of. If, if he's the first installment of it, then our inheritance includes our having the Holy Spirit. So, so that's clue number one, the Holy Spirit. Well, that takes us to chapter 4, verse 30, where Paul tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here again, we have the Holy Spirit, and, and now the word sealed, repeated. And there's a third connection, um, connecting 4, verse 30 to 1, verse 14. It's the word redemption. So in the ESV, uh, there's a phrase in chapter 1, verse 14 that says, until we acquire possession of it. But Matthew, your beloved Christian Standard Bible makes the connection more visible. It translates this phrase, until the redemption of the possession. Brilliant. So, so now we have three clues to work with about what our inheritance is. The Holy Spirit is the first installment of it. The Holy Spirit has sealed us for the day of redemption. So we have the word spirit, sealed, and redemption. Spirit sealed redemption. Now, listening. <laughs> take those three clues and read Romans 8 slowly and carefully. And, and when you do, you'll find that the Spirit tells us we are God's children, verse 16, and thus we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, verse 17. And in verse 23, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Hopefully you're picking up on some of those repeated words. This is our hope. And then if we just back up to verses 10 and 11 in Romans 8, it says that if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I know this is a lot to take in at the end of a podcast, so let me try to put it together. The Spirit is the first installment of our inheritance. Having the Spirit means we are God's children and heirs. The Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. This is a future redemption, the redemption of our bodies. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit in him or her will one day rise again and be glorified. And according to verses 18 to 22, the whole creation is on tiptoes waiting for us when we are fully redeemed to appear. When the glorified sons of God are revealed, creation itself will be set free. So all this to say, our inheritance includes our future bodily resurrection into life in the kingdom of Christ and in the new heavens and earth. As Steve Baugh puts it, this inheritance centers on people's resurrection in the new creation, of which the Spirit is the mediating agent. That's good. That is a lot to take in. So people are going to want to uh, rewind, I think, a couple of times. That would be a good idea. And see, Mike, I, I think this is huge stuff too. You know, I, I just think to that scene when, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before or not, but when the Lord wants to prove resurrection to the questioning Sadducees, and he quotes that, he references that scene where the Lord appears to Moses at the bush and he says, you know, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead, but of the living. And we at first might read that and say, well, how does that prove resurrection? You know, it proves that those men are spiritually alive in glory. How does it prove resurrection? But 
I think the implication is that God is obligated to resurrect those men, partly because of the promises that he's given them, and partly because there's a sense in which, could I put it this way, they're, they're not fully alive. They're not alive as they are originally intended to be without a body. Is that right? Hey, uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that in, Matthew. I hadn't thought of that, but, but that's, that's helpful. So I want to ask you another question about what you said, too. We are sons of God today, but these passages are sort of looking at our sonship as a, as a future thing, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, same with redemption, right? So we're, yeah. we're already sons, but, but we're waiting for the fullness of adoption as sons. We're already redeemed, according to one of the verses you covered last week in Ephesians 1, but we're still looking forward to the redemption of our body. So already we're redeemed, but not yet are we experiencing it to the fullness God has planned for us. Which, yeah, so it's, it's your same point again, that being God's sons, uh, it necessitates us having that eventual glorified body as well. Thank you. Right, right, yeah. It's a lot to juggle in our brains, Mike, but it is very good, and I'm glad you pressed ahead even at the risk of overwhelming listeners with details because we do have the option to rewind and listen again. And hey, who wants an inheritance that is easily understood? Why not have something better, richer, as David Gooding often said in a style that I won't dare imitate, although that would be interesting. He said, uh, the more complicated our inheritance, the better it is. If some far-off relative of ours died and left his huge estate to us, we'd be delighted by the fact that the lawyers were, were having a hard time explaining it to us. There's so much in it. The more complicated, the better. And, and all the same, maybe there are some easier ways to answer the question of what our inheritance consists of, too. So let's, let's just think of a, a, a few uh, other scriptures that say very explicitly what composes our inheritance. Here's a, a little representative list. Matthew 5, 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. Mark 10, the inheritance in verse 17 is eternal life. Hebrews 1, 13, it's, it's salvation and all that that entails. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, it's the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 5, it's the kingdom of Christ and of God. Revelation 21, 7, it's the new heavens and the new earth. So these scriptures are very clear and they corroborate what you arrived at too, Mike, albeit via a more complicated route, but a beautiful route. Our inheritance in Christ is rich. It involves being raised to eternal life in the coming kingdom and in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, that's super helpful. So thanks for that. Um, but let's finish with applying this to our lives today. We've definitely covered some some difficult, complicated, but wonderful theological truth here. Um, but let's apply this to our lives today. So you mentioned some the classic novels that many of us enjoy. You mentioned that earlier. If I understand those some of those stories right, um, often the young men who were heirs of estates received an annual income from what they were to inherit in the future. So in other words, they could enjoy blessing in the present from their future inheritance. And it's the same with us. We already have the first installment of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit. So we can start enjoying our inheritance now. And, and that's the reason God the Father gave us this huge inheritance. In verse 12, it says he gave us an inheritance so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14 repeats that, says, to the praise of his glory. So God blessed us in Christ with the blessing of an infinite inheritance so that we would erupt in praise of his glory and grace. So that, in other words, we would enjoy it. Well, how does that work? Well, we meditate on it. We meditate on the who of God's inheritance, that we're included. 
how, how the Spirit inspired Paul to emphasize that this glorious inheritance is for me, for you. God has a will and he's written your name on it. And then we meditate, secondly, on the security of God's inheritance. That while everything else in this life that we might work for, it could slip through our fingers in a moment, our inheritance of resurrection life in the new heavens and earth is totally secure. In order for a Christian to lose his inheritance, uh, Matthew, I'm going to say what you said again. God the Son would have to lose his inheritance. God the Father would have to lose control over the world. And God the Holy Spirit would have to lose his spot in us, his, his seal, his mark. And then thirdly, we meditate and mull over the contents of, an, of our inheritance. Matthew, I mentioned that big trip we took and we spent some time with you. You took us to Peggy's Cove and downtown Halifax to the harbor. And uh, we also, as part of our trip, we spent time in Ohio, New York City, Maine, Quebec City, and saw all these amazing, beautiful places and these, these gorgeous homes, places to live. And, you know, as Christians, we can look at all these places in the world like Abraham did when he toured the land of Canaan. We're looking at our inheritance. I don't need to live in the most exciting and beautiful places on earth in this life. I don't need to have the most sprawling mansion in this life. Why? Because I have all this and so much more as part of my inheritance. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, let no one boast in men, but we could insert a different word. Let no one boast in mansions or property, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or we could say uh, Le Chateau Frontenac, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. So let's start enjoying our inheritance now. Let it free us from consumerism and trying to put all our eggs in the basket of this life. All things are ours in Christ, including the whole of the new heavens and earth forever. I like Chateau Frontenac, but I think Peggy's Cove outdoes it, Mike. Yeah, um, but you wouldn't want to live there, I don't think. <laughs> You're right. I just like to have a reason to go visit there. All right. Yeah. Very good. Good point. And thank you for bringing us to the end of this powerful praise section in Ephesians chapter 1 begins with eternity past when the Father chose us, moves on into time when the Son redeemed us by his blood, looks forward to the future when the whole universe will be centered on Christ, and then it tells us we have a place in that future. We have an inheritance, and we know this. We know this because the Spirit has sealed us upon our faith in Christ. Next, we are going to turn to the second main section of Ephesians 1. We've still got two more episodes to do in working through Ephesians chapter 1. The first section was a praise. This one is going to be a prayer, one of Paul's famous prison prayers that we will get into in our next episode. Yeah, looking forward to that, Matthew. You're going to start us off in, in that prayer. It's an awesome prayer. But before we leave the praise section, verses 3 to 14 entirely, I just want to quote, from one of my favorite commentators of Ephesians, Steve Baugh, one more time. This is what he says as he reflects on these verses. He says, We would do well to memorize Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, recite it frequently, and then adapt and expand on it as we join the worldwide chorus of the saints for the praise of the glory of his grace, which he bestowed on us in his beloved. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's take that as a little encouragement to persevere. Yeah, some of these phrases are hard. And memorizing is always hard, but we would do well to memorize it and to join in the worldwide chorus of the saints for the praise of the glory of his grace, which he bestowed on us in his beloved Son. Amen, and thank you all for joining us today. May the Lord bless you all. Amen.